Here's something we got to hear in our culture today. There is no such thing as relative truth. The truth never changes. If the truth ever changed, then it's not the truth. Any theology that doesn't glorify Christ as he is revealed in the scriptures is something meant to destroy the church from within. Anything that diminishes reverence toward the Bible should be avoided. In this message, Joshua West discusses how the greatest danger to the church isn't the world, but rather Christians who are actually evangelists for the flesh. There is no neutral ground in the kingdom of heaven. We are either for God or for the darkened world. Good morning and welcome to the World Challenge Chapel. For all of you viewing online or on YouTube, thank you for being with us. If you'll get your Bible out and turn with me once again to 1 John, today we'll be in chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And today's message is titled, The Spirit of Antichrist. The Spirit of Antichrist. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the clear language that the Apostle John speaks in, Lord, concerning our surety of salvation, uh, regarding the division between light and darkness, those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ, even those who seek to deceive us, those who are deceived, God, and, and are deceiving others. Lord, I pray that our minds would be still and be uh, fixated on your word. God, that we would abide in you, in your word, and that you would abide in us and among us. Lord, conform us to the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, ever since Satan's rebellion in the world, demonic forces that are in opposition of God have permeated this fallen world. These forces contaminated creation. But listen, in the fall of man, these things came into our lives. So Satan rebelled. Uh, uh, he was cast out of heaven with one third of the angels and they were roaming to and fro. But because of the sin of Adam and Eve, they were able to infiltrate this world, the, the world that God had given Adam dominion over. Um, he forfeited that dominion by disobeying God and sinning. And so we are really to this day at war with an opposing kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. There are truly only two kingdoms, two sides, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. 
Those who are not subjected to Christ are enemies of God. All things that are not surrendered to Christ and reborn in Christ are anti-Christ. Now, that seems like a, a, a strong statement, this idea that, that there aren't these sort of neutral people or this sort of intermediate place. There's people that are evil and wicked and of the kingdom of darkness. There's the people who are the kingdom of light. And then there's everybody else. But the truth is there are only two kingdoms. Even people who don't know that they are agents of the darkness, if they are not surrendered to the lordship of Christ, in fact, are working on behalf of the devil in the fallen world, living for the passions of their flesh, uh, following the pattern of this world, and even knowingly or unknowingly doing the work of the evil one. Jesus himself in Matthew 12, 30 said, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. There is no middle ground. There is no such, listen, neutrality is a myth. There is no such thing as, as someone who is not against God or not for God. If you, have, if you feel indifferent towards Christ, you are committing treason of the highest order. There is only one rightful response to God, and that is worship and obedience, because that is the reason that every human born and created in the image of God was made to glorify Christ, to glorify God. That is the purpose of all creation. Anything else is anti-Christ. Any theology that doesn't esteem, magnify, and glorify Christ as revealed in the scripture is something meant to destroy the church from within. Anything that minimizes, undermines, diminishes, or causes anything less than reverence towards the sacred words of Scripture should be marked and avoided. I said this last week, but the people that we have to be real careful and conscious about aren't the pagans who are living for themselves with no mind towards God. It's people who pose as Christians. That's who John is talking about in this chapter of Scripture. People who pretend like they are Christians, but they are really evangelists of the world and the flesh and the things of this world. People who subtly sort of chip away at the the inerrancy or the esteem that we should have towards the sacred Scripture. People who who diminish Christ as revealed in Scripture. Yes, they talk about Jesus a lot, but they talk about a Jesus of their own imagination. Many people have created a Christ that will conform to their image rather than us conforming to the very image of Christ. As much as people hate this kind of language, it really is an us and them type of situation. That's what we, we, we read last week in our sermon when we, we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, when the apostle Paul says, come out from among them. What does light have to do with darkness? What does the devil have to do with Christ? What does an unbeliever and a believer have in common? And the answer is nothing so when people are worldly, when preachers are worldly, when they're, when they're tickling your ears and gratif- telling you things that gratify your flesh, your illusions of grandeur and greatness that aren't biblical, that are twisting the scripture, you should be very, very concerned. We must be on guard against those And John tells us, he's telling the people of his time to be on guard against those. But we too must be on guard against people who are opposed to Christ as revealed in Scripture. The the true Christ, not some figment of someone's imagination, not white hippie Jesus, not the Jesus that, that has no sort of feelings or affections. We're talking about a savior who was a man born into the world for the glory of God and for the salvation of people. The the way that Christ is represented in scripture, 
the fact that he's gentle and lowly and enemy loving, but also the fact that he flipped tables in the temple because he had zeal for his father's house, that it might be a place of prayer. John warns the Christians he is writing to that they should and we should be on guard against those who are opposed Christ as revealed in the scripture. We should be skeptical of any new or supposed secret knowledge or anything that stands in the way in opposition or diminishes or can't be reconciled to sound doctrine. We see the spirit of Antichrist today just as John did in his time through progressive Christianity, through people that are obsessed with signs and wonders at the expense of, of biblical doctrines, people who merge worldly philosophy with God's word, people who mix new age type practices with Christianity, false teachers like Andy Stanley, who has assaulted the trustworthiness of the scripture, the pl plain commandments of God's word, accepting sinful lifestyles because the culture does. These aren't just wrong words. These are dangerous and damning words. Telling people they're okay in their sin is the most unloving thing you could ever do. And I understand that he is deceived and that's why he's deceiving, but it doesn't make it any less damaging. Jude 1, 3 through 4 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing about the same thing that the apostle Paul wrote about, the same thing that the apostle John wrote about, the same thing that the apostle Peter wrote about. People, false teachers who subtly work their way into the church. He's not talking about, it's the same thing Jesus mentioned. He's not talking about wolves that look like wolves. He's talking about wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing. They say Christian sounding things. They use scriptures, but they twist and pervert them. And they're, they're aimed on sensuality and self-gratification and endorsing sinful lifestyles and worldly prosperity and selfish ambition and whatever other thing your itching ear wants to hear. Jude, who is also the half-brother of Jesus, is, is saying, listen, I wanted to write you a letter of encouragement about our common salvation, but instead because of what seems to be going on, I have to write you and urge you to contend for the faith. Which faith? He says, the faith that was once and all delivered to the saints. There is no improvement. There is no progressing. There is no need to relay a foundation. We believe the message and the witness testimony of the apostles that are given to us in the gospels and the epistles as built on the foundation of the prophets. This is the message of scripture once and for all delivered to the saints. The gospel does not need correction, innovation to be made more relevant, to have things added to it updated. It's garbage. There's only one gospel and it's the only gospel that saves people. And it's Christ as revealed in the scripture and the gospel according to Jesus Christ. While the scripture speaks of a particular man that's called the, the man of lawlessness or the antichrist, it's important to point out like John does that many antichrists have risen since Christ's ascension. And John here warns that many have already come and there, there will be more who continue to come. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Last week when we talked about do not love the world or the things of this world, these are things associated with the spirit of Antichrist, the flesh, the world, and the devil. This is the spirit of this world in the spirit of this age. And although it's not new in our particular culture, we see it in an ever emboldened way. 
we see sin celebrated. We see doctrine, like the word doctrine to many people who preach from pulpits, is they're allergic to terminology like that. There's many pastors I know that are allergic to terminology like calling yourself a biblical shepherd because they don't want the responsibility that comes along with it. We, we can't make innovations on Christ's church. It's his church. The church that he builds is the one that will prevail and the gates of hell will not stand against it. In Mark 13, 21, listen to what it says. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, even if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I've told you all these things beforehand. Or how about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, the apostle John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. How do you do that? You do it through the word of God. Test every spirit. Just because someone claims that they're of God, just because someone claims to be performing signs and wonders. Listen, if what they teach doesn't line up with the sound doctrine of scripture, they must be marked and avoided. Jesus is warning us. John is warning us. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets, he didn't say some, like it's gonna be a fringe thing. He says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is, is that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is it the world or is in the world already? Let's get into our text for this week. Starting in verse 18, John says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So John here is talking to true believers. We know this because he addresses them as children. He is speaking to those who have held fast to the faith, to their faith in Christ, and, and, and Christ is revealed in the scripture. The, 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 the message of the apostles delivered once and for all to the saints. Christ is revealed in the word, the, 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 the testimony about Jesus. And so John is, is encouraging this group of believers that did not depart with the, the progressives and the Gnostics and those who had secret knowledge and felt like they had somehow ascended above the words of Scripture. John is warning them to be on guard, not only against the Antichrist, but against all who are opposed to Christ. This is the spirit of Antichrist that permeates this fallen world. He tells them, this is how they will know that it is the last hour. Now, I'm sure to them, they may have thought that Christ was coming back right away, you know, because things were so bad. But the truth is, is that we see the last hour is all the time in between when Christ ascended to heaven, Christ revealed himself, and now Christ is coming back. During that time, we, we see the, the work of Antichrist in the world in an ever-increasing way. It's important to remember that once Christ was revealed in the flesh, Satan now had a pattern to distort. He's always been opposed to God, but since the coming of Christ, his blasphemy has been centered on surplanting and distorting the king who God the Father has bestowed all honor and all glory upon. So he's always been a deceiver and Jesus said a liar from the beginning, but since Christ became flesh, now he has a pattern to distort. That's all he does is distort and lie. John wants these Christians to know that many antichrists have come and will continue to come until Christ's return. You know, it doesn't make it easier to endure persecution um, necessarily, but it's nice to know that that it was that it was planned. Like when Peter in his epistle said, "Listen, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that you're you're going through." 
as if it was something strange. Listen, Jesus told us it would come and we're telling you it will come. And now I'm telling you, don't be surprised when people persecute you and, and malign you because you're a biblical Christian, especially people within the church who distort what the word love means and hates the, the, the sound teaching of scripture. And they, and they make Christianity into some sort of social club or some sort of seeker-friendly experiment where, where lost people can enjoy Christian, pseudo-Christian concerts and hear speeches and TED Talks about how they're important and that they're going to be great. This group of believers obviously knew there would be a figure who would rise up at the end of days who would be the evil shepherd that Jesus talked about or that, that Paul talked about, a man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. The Old Testament prophesied about this. And also the words of Jesus in the gospel gave us a clear picture of this. But Paul, nearly four decades before John wrote these words, um, gives a sort of description of it in 2 Thessalonians. Let's look at it. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to read several verses here. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes the seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was, when I was with you still, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by his, the appearance of his coming. Hallelujah. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all the power and all the false signs and wonders and will be with a wicked deception for all those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that, it, that they may be condemned with him who did not believe the truth but had the pleasure, their pleasure in unrighteousness. That's Paul talking about what's going to happen, this, this, this antichrist figure. But there's also going to be other antichrists that help separate the sheep from the goats. Listen to John's next verse in, in chapter 2 of what we're dealing with this week. John 2.19, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, then they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So John encourages the believers he's writing to by telling them the reason there was a mass exodus of these Gnostic progressive sort of high spiritual minded signs and wonders, secret knowledge, revelation type Christians, these super, these super Christians who, who were more spiritual than the ones who held fast to the plain teaching of Scripture, who held fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ as our only means of salvation. He tells them, don't be concerned that they left because they went out from us because they actually never belonged to us. They weren't part of Christ's church. They were actually goats. They were actually tares on the wheat. And, and, and John is saying, listen, God is using false teachers to draw them out, to prune God's tree. Now, this is hard for us sometimes because sometimes we see people supposedly depart the faith that we feel like have been living godly lives for 20 years and they seem to be godly people. I've seen preachers that people think, man, they were so sound, what happened? Well, as culture shifted in acceptance, so did they because they were never anchored to this. They, they, they were never really of Christ. 
John encourages them by saying they went out because they didn't belong to Christ. Christ says, those who belong to me, no one will be able to snatch them from my hand. He said, listen, listen to what John said. If they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. I don't mean this in a critical way because there are, there are people in your church today who aren't believers that we're hoping will become believers. But there are also people who are, who are divisive, who have delusions about who God is and they want, to, they want to subtly implant them into your churches. That's not what they think they're doing. They think they have a revelation. They think they have insight that you don't have. That's why we test every spirit by the word of God. We don't just take people's um, grand revelations and people's grand, you know, I had a dream, so now we're going to do this or that. Listen, if it can't be reconciled to this, then, then you need to discard it. That's what all the apostles would say. Here's something we need to think about in our own culture. I've heard many people say that it seems like the church is diminishing. Now, obviously, there are some you know, mega churches and some other things, especially like ones that, that really take no stands and, and don't preach the truth that seem to be growing. I mean, the fact that you can make a church grow by playing amazing music and catering to every want and need of a person and packing them for an hour at a time into an air-conditioned building, that's not some big feat. So sometimes people say, look, it just, but it seems like many churches are shrinking. Here's the truth that's happening in our culture. It's the same thing as John's day. The middle is disappearing. There used to be a time where you could call yourself a Christian and kind of hide in the conservative middle. Those days are over because that is not the way of our culture anymore. Culture has swung so far into such a a, a demonic, apostate, sin-celebrating place that, that if you stand up for what the Bible really says, you're going to stick out. You're going to look like salt and light in a world that is dark and dying. And so it's not that the church is is shrinking. Christ said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But God is pruning his tree. God is separating false converts from true converts. God is separating sheep from goats so that we might know who belong to us and who we belong to and who the true family of God is. It's not about being critical or judgmental. It's about saying to be a true Christian, you must take this at face value. And everything that God says, you strive to obey, not because you're trying to earn God's love, but because you have been regenerated. God uses false teachers who depart to draw away false converts from the true assembly of believers. And like I said a second ago, this is God pruning his tree. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. But then centering back on the true believers, he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. And all of you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. John makes a clear distinction between those who hold fast to the truth of God's word and those who do not. This is the separating line between true and false Christians. Those who take God at his word and live according to it. These are his true children. Walking in the truth is evidence that you are children of God like we discussed a few weeks ago in a previous sermon. Those who take God at his word, who live according to his word, these are his true children. It is so simple. It's so simple. Although false teachers want to complicate it to no ends. Those who know and love God keeps his commandments. And those who truly are reborn love and delight in the word of the Lord. These are the people who hunger and thirst to be righteous. And God promises that those who hunger and thirst to be right with him, they will be filled because of what Christ did on the cross. So John is writing to those now who are in the truth, those who live by faith in Christ according to his word. 
Here's a great measuring stick to see if the spirit of Antichrist is at work in something that represents itself as Christian. Verse 21, he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. No lie is of the truth. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, yes, false teachers say some true things. They do use Bible verses as garnishes for their mill of words. They use them for launching off pads. They use them to give themselves credibility. But they are not people of the word who revere and fear the Lord of this word, who, who reverence his word, who tremble like Isaiah 66 says at his word. There is no lie that is of the truth. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't ever make mistakes or fall short or misunderstand as we're growing in knowledge of God's word. But people who don't take this thing at face value, who say, if it's in here, I believe it and I'm gonna live according to it. That person, if, if you don't believe the Bible is inerrant and the, and the holy word of God, you are not a Christian. You're not a Christian. If you can't take God at his word, you can't live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to know him in a saving way. John is appealing to true believers for the exclusivity of biblical truth. Something cannot be a lie and simultaneously be true. Here's something we got to hear in our culture today. There is no such thing as relative truth. What's true for you, living your truth? These are lies of the devil, lies of the fallen world system, lies that are meant to separate you from the true knowledge of God. The truth is the truth forever. Facts and knowledge will break themselves upon the mountain cliffs of the truth. The truth never changes. If the truth ever changed, then it's not the truth. There is no such thing as relative truth. This is the great deception of our day as well as it was in John's day. Listen, a Christ that is not a firm foundation, a Christ that is not the way, the truth, and the life, is not the Christ of, of Scripture. It's not the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's a worldly Christ for worldly Christians. And I put that in quotations. Pretenders, false converts who want something from God but aren't willing to surrender and submit their lives to Him fully because they don't know Him as God. Verse 22 he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, here's something real important we need to discuss. This doesn't mean to merely verbally say that Jesus is not the Christ. There are many false teachers who would say, yeah, Jesus is Lord. This means that you deny the truth about what the Bible says that means. That Jesus is the Christ according to what the Bible says that means. Because there are many people with their lips who would say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Lord. And then they preach and teach and live by things that are not reconcilable to the scripture. There are many today who declare Jesus as Christ and as Lord, but believe and teach things that undermine what the scripture says. This actually, this actually means that, 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 that you have to accept Christ as revealed in scripture. Your confession of your mouth is a declaration which you believe in your heart, and thus by this you are saved. This is evidence of regeneration. The greatest lie in the history of the world is to say that Jesus is to say that Jesus is, is not God. So there are people that say that Jesus is Lord, but they don't mean it in a biblical way. That is false. But there's also people that undermine the Lordship of Christ. They undermine uh, who Jesus is. So to deny this is to live uh, as if the truth isn't true. 
This is your Jehovah's Witnesses. This is your Mormons. This is every false religion like Islam or Hinduism that acknowledge a Jesus, but not the Jesus of Scripture. So if you got the Christian version of it or you have the cult version of it, both of them are damning. This is a Christianity that is opposed to God's word in any way. John also makes it clear that any religion or worship of God, of God the Father or God as a whole, that is void of the Son as Lord is false and will not save you. He says, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Jesus himself says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Look at verse 24 and 25. He said, let what you heard from the beginning, you know, the message given once and for all to the saints that's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the thread of biblical Christianity that is born um, in the beginning and has, has endured throughout the ages. Orthodox, biblical Christianity. Yes, there are many variations and practices of it, but biblical Christianity is what we're talking about. We can have disagreements about small peripheral things, but if we say this is God's word and Jesus is the Christ and the Trinity is God and there's only one way to God and that's through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're probably talking about the same thing. He said, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. Man, what a great message of encouragement to these, these children of God, these, these faithful Christians who have been rocked by a, 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 a hard church split. People left because they, they, they had different ideas about what it meant to follow Jesus. And it seems like a lot went with them. Many false Christs, many false prophets, many false teachers, many depart the faith. But he's saying to them, listen, the, if you believe the message that we gave to you, the message delivered once and for all to the saints, the gospel according to Paul, the gospel according to John, the gospel of Jesus Christ as given to you, if you abide in that, then you have the Father through Christ. And guess what? That promise he made to you includes eternal life. Hold fast, saint. Hold fast to the words of scripture. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing will snatch you from his hands. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will, he will save you unto the eternal family of God on that day. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Christianity does not progress. Christianity doesn't change. John tells these Christians he's writing to, to let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Not secret knowledge, not new revelation, but the word of the Lord. The spirit of God reveals and opens our eyes to the truth of God's word. We don't have to look for something new and exciting. We just have to hold fast to something that's real and true. And the Spirit of God will open our eyes, will anoint us to see the truth of God's word, to let it transform us from the inside out. But we've got to hold fast by faith. This is your salvation. This is uh, preserving yourself and, and persisting to the end. This is true faith in Christ. Listen what John says or what Jesus says, excuse me, in John's gospel, chapter 15. I know we've gone there a lot, but there's so many parallels between the gospel of John and 1 John. The gospel of John, chapter 15, verses four through 11 says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. 
and branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Glory to God. This is the promise John is referring to in verses 24 and 25 of 1 John chapter 2. Listen, if you abide in Christ and he abides in you, if you abide, listen, if you abide in him and his word abides in you, if you love him and keep his commandments, you will bear much fruit. You will be reconciled to the father and you will have eternal life. Let's look at verse 26 and 27. It says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, John's not saying you shouldn't listen to pastors and biblical teachers. What he's saying is the the message of God is the message that abides in you. And you are anointed to understand it and be changed by it through, through the Holy Spirit. And if someone preaches something that's not the words of God, then you don't need to listen to them. You don't need to be taught. You don't need worldly wisdom. You don't need anything else. You just need the word of God under the anointing of the spirit of God. Because the spirit is our teacher as much as the person orating God's word. As much as when you read God's word and you pray that God would make it a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. False teachers always try to claim that they are anointed or enlightened in ways beyond what regular Bible-believing Christians are. They always appeal to things beyond the written word of God. In verses 24 through 27, John is saying that true believers have been anointed to hear and perceive the word of the Lord and that the spirit of God will lead them into the truth of God's word. Like I said before, John isn't saying you shouldn't sit under biblical teachers or pastors because that would be contradicting things that the Bible says in other places. What he's saying is that it's about God's word and whoever's preaching better be preaching God's word. This is the message you received and were saved by. This is the message that you should grow up in and grow in. This is the message that the Holy Spirit leads you into and empowers in your life. The Spirit of God does not empower TED Talks. The Spirit of God does not empower worldly practical wisdom, no matter how amazing it sounds. The Spirit of God only empowers the preached Word of God because this is a Trinitarian work orchestrated by the Father, secured through the Son, and empowered by the very Spirit of God. It's His Word, it's His Son, and it's His Spirit. False teachers twist the scriptures, or appeal to extra biblical things like secret knowledge, private revelations, worldly philosophy, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of self. And John is telling them to abide in God's word, which is revealed under the anointing of his spirit. The anointing only comes from the anointed one. And that is Jesus Christ as revealed in scripture. Jesus is the word from the beginning. John also makes it clear, like I said a second ago, that all the works of God are Trinitarian. You can't have the father without the son and you can't have the son without the spirit. And you cannot know God apart from the revelation of his word because his word is truth and is the very embodiment of Christ. Let's look at the last two verses. John encouraging these saints says, now little children abide in him 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. The evidence that you are truly of God and that he abides in you and that you abide in him and that his word abides in you is that you will live hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You will live a holy life, not a perfect life. Listen, you're, you're holy because Christ has imputed his righteousness into you. But brothers and sisters, there will be evidences of that. There will be evidences like you will love his commandments. You will obey his word. That will show that you love Christ. You will love your brother and not hate them. You will not love the world or the things of the world and that his word would abide in you. These are evidences. Those who abide in him and live according to his commandments can have confidence that when Christ appears, that they will not be put to shame because there's evidence that they have been reborn. The, re, the spiritual rebirth that, that Jesus talks about in John chapter three when he's dealing with Nicodemus. We know the Lord. Listen, we know the Lord so because of that we live in righteousness and in holiness and in set apartness. This is not legalism. This isn't work salvation. I'm not telling you your works or your good deeds or the way you live um, uh, earn anything before God. Your good deeds are as filthy rags. So what I'm saying? I'm saying a good tree will bear good fruit. Christianity is not a religion of, of legalism and works. It's not works-based. It's evidence-based. We do good works because we have been saved into the eternal family of God. If we know that Christ is our righteousness and we have surrendered to his lordship, then we will live lives of righteousness as evidence that we have been born again. Let me say it this way. The spirit of antichrist is opposed to a life of personal holiness. There's churches all around this country that would never speak about holiness. They talk about it like it's, like it's some sort of, they've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, Paul says. The, to sensuality, to man-centered things. Making, not only saying God accepts sinners, but almost like he accepts sin too. God hates sin. Listen, if God could accept sin, then Jesus died for nothing. The spirit of antichrist is opposed to a life of personal holiness because this reflects Christ in the earth. This, this, this reflects our surrender of his lordship, our worship, our glorification and magnification of the king who's above all kings and the Lord is of, uh, who is above all lords. This is our posture towards him, a living sacrifice, not conforming to the pattern of this world. Christianity is not striving towards holiness. It's living for holiness. And I'm here to tell you, a, a Christianity that it doesn't have holiness is fraudulent. That's what John is saying. Living a life of holiness because of Christ's imputed righteousness, not to obtain his righteousness, but living a life of holiness as evidence that Christ's righteousness has been imputed into you, that you have been transformed, that you have been justified, and you are in the process of being sanctified and conformed to the very image of Christ. Because Christ's righteousness is imputed in you, it will be evidence that you abide in Christ and that the Spirit of Christ abides in you. When people leave the faith, it's because they were never truly of the faith. They're broken branches meant to be thrown into the fire. Let me just repeat the last, the, the, the verse, verses 18 and 19. John speaking, he says, children, this is the last hour. As you have heard the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Brothers and sisters, do not set your eyes on men. Do not set your eyes on denominations. Do not set your eyes on even your pastor as the pattern. It's okay to have good godly examples, but we gotta fix our eyes on Jesus as revealed in the scripture. Because if your faith can be shaken because you see things happening in the fraudulent church, in the false church, in the Western church, as, as we migrate towards the lack of holiness, as we move towards a, a culture that accepts sin. We call them trials. Now, they're not sins anymore. We don't, we don't speak in black and white terms. We don't talk about hell anymore. But you need to hold fast to this. You need to do it like Jude says, contend for the faith because you're convinced. You need to live a life of holiness as evidence that Christ lives in you. If you abide in him, he will abide in you. If you surrender to him, he will lift you up on the last day. He will preserve you to eternal life. He will impute his own righteousness on you. When your loved ones leave the faith, pray for them. Pray that they're just prodigals who will come back. But don't be shaken when people walk away from, from faith. Don't be ex so excited when famous people get saved. You're like, oh my gosh, now that they're saved, maybe everybody in the NFL will get saved. Listen, there's all, I'm not saying we shouldn't rejoice about it, but don't make it seem like that's some big thing. And don't be disheartened when, when people who seemed like biblical preachers walk away or when people seemed like faithful Christians walk away and they walk into sin or they start living in a perverted version of Christianity. Hold fast to Christ as revealed in the scripture. The only firm foundation, the only solid ground. He's promised you eternal life. He's promised you the power to overcome. He's promised you victory if, in fact, you persist in your faith to the end. God, I thank you for your word. But God, I thank you for your spirit that opens our eyes, that tills our hearts, that draws us to you, Lord. Lord, thank you for actively pursuing us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would realize that anything that is not of Christ, as revealed in the scripture, we would realize that it is antichrist. It is of the spirit of antichrist. We should reject those things. God, I pray that we would shine bright like salt and light, Lord. Lord, that people would see our faith and, and praise our Father who is in heaven or would hate us because they hate him too. But either way, God, we are shining for you. We are living lives of holiness. And God, I pray that you would use my life, God, and, and many Christians under the sound of my voice as an instrument to draw people to yourself. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.